Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, we will turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 tonight, and um, we're going to read verse 13 down to verse 15. Uh, I really felt pressed to uh, spend some time. I touched on some things last week, and I really feel I need to circle back around and and wrap this up with some thoughts tonight, looking at distinguishing marks of a true and false preacher or a false prophet, a false teacher. And it's important to be able to identify that because of the amount of deception that's going on in the world today. And uh, we're going to navigate some of that. So look at verse number 13, 2 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 13 down to verse 15. It says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, and, and Paul begins to define them here. He says they transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. It's interesting that, that Satan's workers want to look like God's workers. Uh, they don't want to look ungodly. They want to look godly. They don't want to look unspiritual. They want to look extremely spiritual. In verse 14, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. You would think that Satan would want to transcend further, further into wicked uh, appearance, but instead he wants to look more like Christ, which is really the most wicked thing because he's doing it for a deceitful cause. It says, Therefore is no great thing that if his ministers be also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. You know, if you're playing on a football team and you know there's three guys that are on your team that are against you, actually, uh, how do you find out who they are? Uh, that would be very disconcerting, wouldn't it? So uh, tonight we're going to be looking at uh, some distinguishing marks of a true and false preacher. So if you would join me in prayer, Father, we are thankful tonight for your word. We pray that it would be revealed to our hearts, help us to understand and apply the truth of the scriptures Lord, thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would preserve us, Lord, that you would keep us, that you would give us wisdom in these days that we live in that's so filled with deception, so many lies that are being perpetrated. And I pray that as your people, God, that you would uphold us, that we would follow the voice of the shepherd and not listen to that of the false shepherds in this world. Lord, bless tonight. Be with the teen ministry, the kids' ministries, and all that is going on. We ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated this evening. Well, there was a New York couple uh, that received through the mail two tickets to a huge Broadway hit. Oddly, the gift arrived with out a note and they wondered who had sent it, but they still attended the show and enjoyed every minute of it. When they returned to their apartment, they discovered that their bedroom had been ransacked, valuable furs and jewelry were missing, and on the pillow there was a note written that said, now you know. And somebody had obviously set them up with the deception. Satan is a deceiver. Christians must be discerning in these days. Uh, one of the most lacking areas in Christianity today is in the area of discernment. People don't discern things. They, they, they buy the lies. They, they believe things that are not true. 2 Timothy 3 tells us in verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times, and it's interesting that word perilous is translated in other places as demonic times, demon-possessed times, it's, it could be literally the idea, shall come. Evil, and in verse 13 later it talks about evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. They will be deceived as they deceive others. They, the deception will just be the reigning environment. And, and I look across the country today and the, the level of deception is just it's just off the charts. People believe things that are just outstanding and, and, and false so clear. Satan is a master deceiver, and his desire is to imitate Christ and truth as much as possible. The wolf wears the sheep's clothing and the shepherd's clothing. The problem of false teachers and preachers was very heavy in the early church. Uh, you have Jesus, Paul, Peter, Jude, James. Most all of the New Testament writers dealt with this. Let me just take you in a few passages to give you a glimpse of how 
uh, much Satan had penetrated the work of God with the deception that was going on. And Jesus' first major address is Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. He gets to chapter 7 and he says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. It's an interesting thing to think that somebody would be so deceptive that they would seek to imitate what is right so that they could do to you what is wrong. Paul in Acts 15 said there was a special council that was held to deal with disputes from Judaizers that taught that you must be circumcised in order to be saved. Letters were sent out to the churches from that special council stating in Acts 15, 24, as much as we have heard that certain men went out from us, have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. People will say things that are not biblical. They're, they're, they're enforcing and, and, and placing on you things that are not commandments of God. The book of Romans concludes with the warning in Romans 16, 18, For they which uh, that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. It's usually the people that have a silver tongue that are smooth in speech and they can pull people in with their mouth. Paul wrote to the Galatians battling against a false gospel and false teachings. In Galatians 1, Paul warned against their false gospel. They were, uh, they were preaching a different gospel, uh, which was not a true gospel. Throughout Galatians, they were battling errors of saying you must be circumcised. You, they were adding works to the gospel. Galatians 3, Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Christ Jesus has been evidently set forth and crucified. This only would I learn of you. Did you receive the spirit of the works of the law, the hearing of faith? How did you get saved? By the law or by faith? He said, Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, now you're made perfect in the flesh? And he begins this whole, really, the, the epistle was written to deal with the heresies that had grown up in that church. The church at Colossae had a heresy that combined early Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is, is basically saying that we have secret knowledge. We have information that other people don't have. And it drew heresies from paganism, Judaism, and Christianity. Worked all that together in a, in, in a, in a combination and they began to worship angels. Uh, they imposed circumcision on the people. They held to Jewish dietary and holy day restrictions. Uh, we still see that today in some groups. Uh, Colossians 2.4, he says, uh, And this I say, lest any man beguile you with enticing words. Verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. Colossians 2.16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in the respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days. You're, you're not confined anymore to dietary restrictions. And, and thank the Lord for that, right? Y'all with me? We, we are in an honest eating church here. Uh, he says, or of new moon, or of the Sabbath days. Don't let anybody judge you according. You ever, you ever have somebody say, you know what? You need to keep the Sabbath. You need to worship on Saturday. Seventh-day Adventist would, would press into that. And, and the Bible says, don't do that. Colossians 2.18, let no man beguile you of your reward and voluntary humility, worshiping of angels. Uh, and, and all these other things that were, they were dealing with. So the Colossian heresy was springing up. What's interesting is in many of the churches that, that Paul is writing to, much of the New Testament, it's going in and writing letters dealing with major problems that were in the church. People say, you know, that church just has a lot of problems. Well, show me a New Testament church that didn't have some level of problems. Well, the church at Philippi, they seem like that. Yeah, the, the theme of Philippians is joy, but get to chapter three or chapter four. I beseech Iodius and Syndicate that they be of the same mind in the Lord, for they were at odds one with another. You know, there's a couple of ladies that were fighting. And uh, can you imagine them in heaven one day thinking, how foolish were we to be in such arguments? And now our names are in the eternal word of God. So that everybody knows in the heavens, you know, who is you? Yoris and Syndicate, it's like, yeah, there are those two ladies over there, you know. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes what we make a big deal of, uh, we should be ashamed of, right? 
Paul wrote younger Timothy that false teachers will come. I mean, you read the letters that Paul wrote to the young preacher Timothy and young preacher Titus. He was dealing with problems many times that were going on. 1 Timothy 4.3 says, There's people coming in forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving, saying you can't eat certain things, you, uh, different false teachings. In 1 Timothy 6.5 He's talking about there, there's people getting in foolish debates. They're always wanting to debate. He said, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth. They thought gain was godliness. He said, withdraw from those people. He warned of those teaching the resurrection had already passed in 2 Timothy 2.17. Uh, he warned of those who would not endure sound doctrine. In chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, he said, they would turn their ears from the truth and turn to fables. They would seek teachers who would tell them what they wanted to hear in the last days. Paul warned the younger pastor Titus in Titus 1, verse 10 and 11. He says, for there are many unruly and vain talkers, deceivers, especially they have the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. They subvert, subvert whole houses, teaching things they ought not for filthy lucre's sake, for money's sake, and they're, they're deceiving people. Peter's last words in a letter that he wrote in 2 Timothy 2, he spent the entire chapter out of a three-chapter book dealing with false teachers. He says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you how shall, who shall privily or privately bring in damnable heresies, denying the Lord that bought them, bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their pernicious ways." They will, verse 3, through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Uh, we're going to elaborate on that verse in, in a little bit later, but, but this, was a, this was a massive problem. John wrote, it doesn't get any better. First John 2, 18, little children, it is the last time as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists. First John 4, he says, beloved, believe not every spirit, try the spirits, whether they're of God. I've been in, I, re, I remember... I've been in churches over the years where um, people were so naive that they thought if somebody got up and began screaming in the service that this, that was the spirit moving. Holy man, the Lord's really moving today. Um, we had a lady in our church in Chillicothe. She had grown up in some churches down in Kentucky that uh, it, was, it was a common teaching and behavior that they would get up and just begin to scream and yell and just act in very... And, uh, and, and because that charismatic movement was very strong in Chillicothe, uh, there, was, there was quite a few people in the church that really thought, you know, the Spirit of God's moving on her. And it was so... It would interrupt the entire service to a level that, you know, you'd sing a certain song and, and she would just... It, it would, I mean, it would just took the whole place over. You could no longer focus on the Lord because all the attention was now on her. It wasn't about him, it was about her. Her child's on the ground holding his head. Her husband would not come to church because he was terrified of her embarrassing him and he was not a believer. So we talked to her and said, listen, we love that you have a heart for the Lord, but you cannot be screaming in a way that takes the attention away from the worship of the Lord to the distraction of you. And her response was, well, the Lord takes over me, and I can't help it. And my response was, the Bible. The Bible says the spirits of the prophets are in submission to the prophets. You, the, the spirit doesn't overtake you and cause you to act in an out-of-control way. That is not Bible. The Bible teaches the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. Do you know the Holy Spirit's in control of your life, not when you get out of control, but when you get in control? Does that make sense? We feel it too, don't we? When the Holy Spirit takes control of your life, you begin to be governed more by Him. You're more patient, you're more kind, you're more loving, you're more in control uh, because He's in control of you. That doesn't act in bizarre behavior. I could show you videos of kundalini Hinduism where they fall down and get slain in the spirit, where they talk in tongues, where they laugh hysterical, and they do basically every single thing that I grew up in charismatic churches being shown before me. Exactly. If you didn't know it was Hinduism, you would have thought it was a charismatic, massive crusade. It's exactly the same behavior. 
So whatever is taking possession of those people in Kundalini Hinduism is doing the exact, they get down and laugh and bark like dogs and roll around in the aisles. It's, it's exactly the same behavior. I grew up in that for 15 years. I could never speak in tongues. I tried all the time. I had people tell me, you're not safe because you don't speak in tongues. Thankfully, I learned what the Bible said later in my life. Jude warned false teachers in Jude 3 and 4, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. He's like, I wanted to write a unifying message. I can't imagine how many times Jude began to write a letter and he had to wad it up and throw it away. And I, he said, I gave all diligence to write of our common salvation. I wanted to write a unifying letter. He said, but it was needful for me to tell you to earnestly contend for the, you could translate it, the once delivered unto the saints' faith. The faith that had been once delivered to the saints. Verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is just a fragment of how much was going on in the early church that I just shared with you. This is how big of a, and if it was that big of a problem 2,000 years ago, what do you think it's going on today? This is a reality, friends. That's why I'm taken tonight to talk about it. Now, you can see that they were battling heresy and false teachers, but it wasn't coming from outside the church. It was coming from inside the church. Satan doesn't seek to, to attack so much from the outside as he does from the inside. He's a lot more effective if he can corrupt it from the inside, if he can poison from the inside. And so false prophets, false teachers, preachers are sometimes very difficult to identify because they use biblical language, biblical piety. Uh, they can seem to be indistinguishable distinguishable from the true at times. Uh, because they are deceptive, how do you identify them? And so tonight I want to give some distinguishing marks of a true and false prophet, preacher, and teacher. How do I identify wolves in sheep's clothing? Uh, I would highlight uh, Matthew 7, 15, just to... By way, again, of review, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And then he says this, You shall epigenosco them by their fruits. Epigenosco, genosco, where we get Gnostic or knowledge from. Epi intensifies genosco, which means to know by experience. It's basically saying you will know by experience, you will really know them by experience. You will be become very acquainted, fully acquainted and fully know them by their fruits. You will be able to identify them. It is possible to fully know false teachers. So how can you identify them? Let me give you three key ways. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. I want to talk about three kinds of fruits that get produced from those that are false Versus those that are true. So first of all, what is the fruit of their personal life? What is the fruit of their personal life? Are they faithful? Do they show integrity? Are they humble? Or are they proud? The false prophets and apostles at Corinth were extremely proud and arrogant. They compared themselves among themselves. They fought over who was the greatest. Paul on the other hand, was extremely humble. Back in chapter 10, verse 1, he says, in presence, I am base among you. They, they were arguing over who was the greatest back in chapter 10, verse 12. And in chapter 10, 17, he says, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. False prophets don't say that. They, they, they may say it uh, to, to gain favor for a moment, but they don't mean it. They, they keep pointing to themselves. False teachers and preachers and prophets do questionable things. They wander into gray areas. They also can be found jumping from place to place because their life continues to get exposed. They can't stay in one location because their integrity is jeopardized because they, what's on the inside seeps out. And that's, I've said this over the years, but one benefit of having a long tenure as a pastor is people begin to know you. They begin to know who you are. You know, somebody could bring an accusation against me, but I've been here for 15 years. So, so you, you begin to see, is, is that the character of that man? And is that, is that who that is? 
you know, it was much different when we started the church and the church was one year old. You know, people, I don't know this guy. You know, over in Chillicothe, they knew me. In Wilmington, they knew me. In other places, Missouri, they knew me. But here, you know, but over time, people can, people begin to see and say, uh, there's, a, there's a record there of this individual. Second um, Timothy 3.10, Paul says, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. When people were accusing him, he's like, you've known me. You, you know my mannerism. I was among you. I, I lived with you. You know what I was like. Uh, I was not, not a dictator. I was not abusive. I was not uh, some of the accusations that were coming against him, unloving. Are, are they, uh, another, another way you kind of look at their personal life is, are they loved and accepted by the world? Jesus said in Luke 6, 26, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. One of the evidence of false prophets is you could go on CNN and they would be okay with you. You could go on, M if, if you go on MSNBC and they think you're okay, there is a problem with your preaching. Uh, you go probably Fox News and they'd be okay with you. There should be some level of resistance in the world to you. John 15, 19, he says, If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Leonard Ravenhill said, If Jesus preached the same message ministers preach today, he would never have been crucified. Are there... So, so you ask yourself, are, are they some, and, and, and they should never be, you know, there's some foolish men out there who they're offensive just for the sake of being offensive. They're obnoxious. You ever seen those guys that are just flat out obnoxious and uh, they have no discernment of grace. There's no kindness about them. That's not what we're talking about, but we're talking about standing on the truth and grace and love, but holding to the word of God and you don't bend to modify the word to the world. Are they covetous or are they content? Second Peter 2, 3 says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be... Second Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 1 says, But there are false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. And Second uh, Timothy 2, verse 3 says, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. One of the root cause reasons that false teachers are in the ministry is so that they can get money. That's why you see these false preachers around the world, these, these so-called uh, prophets of God, these guys, they're always real, extremely wealthy, extremely wealthy. And, and they boast of that as being the blessing of God upon their life. They make no shame about it. But they also use slick, deceitful words. Here it says they used feigned words. Feigned words is the word plastos in the Greek. It means molded, formed as of clay, wax, or stone. They are false teachers who mold and form their words in a masterful way to deceive the people. It says they make merchandise of you. The verb literally to travel, especially as a merchant businessman, to be a merchant trade or to deal in merchandise. Uh, they don't care about the well-being of God's people only to get money out of them. It's a Ponzi scheme to them. I'll never forget when Benny Hinn, I was a young, young man at the time, young kid, teenager, and uh, I mean, I believed all that stuff because that's what I grew up in. Grew up in. But I re I'll never forget when I was watching this interview, a, a news anchor was asking him and said, you're staying at a place that's $100,000 a night. Some of them were 25000 some as much as $100,000 a night. These prince, I don't even know what you call them, like these extravagant places. And he says, the Lord told me not to answer you. <laughs> it was at that moment that I was like, this is a con man. As a young guy, I was like, that's a con man. That's so out of this world. You're sick. And, and, and is, doesn't that bring a cancer to Christianity? Today we see it all the time on TBN. Come up with another name for that. Do not watch it. 
just keep it off. The deception starts with a mixture of truth. There are people that could go on those channels and say right things. There's people that could watch them and some, someone may get saved and, and it could be a blessing to them, but there's so much error that's mixed in. And, and there's so much of that inside of the charismatic realm. One of the great forefathers of this movement is Oral Roberts. His message of health and wealth spread with promoters such as Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Joyce Meyer, Ted Haggard, and others. If any of those names offend you, I can tell you I could load you down with information on those people. They taught what is known as the seed faith principle that if you sow a seed of money into their ministry, God will return that. There are poor, afflicted people that watch that. They buy into that. They send them their, their, their beggarly incomes. I would ask you, how many of those people that you send money to, if you ever do that, will ever do your funeral, your wedding, come visit you in the hospital, pray with you, or spend time counseling you? Right? Invest in your local ministry. And, and, and if, if you have the opportunity to do that after you've invested in your local, then, then do what the Lord would lead you to do, but start local. Um, Jesus never healed for money. In fact, Peter was offered money in exchange for healing power by a man named Simon Magus. Listen to how he responds in Acts 8 verse 20. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with you. Peter is offered money and he says, you perish with your money. For you thought the gift of God may be purchased with money? Compare that to what you hear on places like TVN where it says, send in your seed of faith, I'm quoting them, send in your pledge, your money, and God will heal you and prosper you. Benny Hinn said, I believe that God is healing people while they're making a pledge tonight. There are people getting healed, making a pledge. Make a pledge, make a gift, because that's the only way you're going to get your miracle. As you give, the miracle will begin, end quote. And his ministry was bringing in an average of $100 million a year. I wonder what, what he's going to face when he stands before God. Those in New Testament times who ministered for the love of money were denounced as false teachers. 1 Timothy 6, 5, speaking of false teachers, Paul writes, perverse disputers of men of corrupt minds, destitute of truth, the truth. Look at what it says. Supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. There was a pastor in our hometown in the previous city. We were in, in, in his church was right close to ours, and he got he he was a solid preacher at one point, but he got sucked into this stuff. And it wasn't long till he was living in a half million dollar home, which half a million dollars ten years ago was a lot, a lot more these days, a lot more back then, I should say, twenty years ago probably or so, fifteen years ago. And uh, driving one of the nicest cars in town, living it up. And, and it was this, this showed that God's blessing was on him. This just showed everybody God's blessing was on him. No, it just showed that you took an offering up every single Sunday for the purpose, and the offering was designed just for your personal income. So there was an offering for the church and then for the pastor, and his income went all the way through the roof, and, and he began to prosper, and that was the blessing of God. And Nothing wrong with having money, but um, it's a problem when money has you. Paul, in opposition to the false apostles at Corinth, was not ministering for money. I mean, back in verse 7 and 8, he says, If I committed an offense in abasing myself, that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God freely. In verse 8, I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. What Paul did, he started churches in Philippi and Macedonia and different places. He took income from them to minister in Corinth, but he didn't want to take money from Corinth because it was a new church plant. He didn't want to receive funds from them and get mixed up into them thinking he was doing it for money. So he didn't do it for money. And the false apostles sought to shame Paul for not taking money for it from the church of Corinth. They turned his humility into an accusation against him. It was, that's how demented the false teachers were. You know, one of three, and many times all three, false teachers will get caught up in one of these three things. Lust, money, or power and fame. It, it, one of those three things take, take, take men down, or they're caught up in that. They get caught up in lust, and it's been so tragic to see that get a hold of pastors over the years. Money, and the other is power and fame. 
Um, you're going to be hard-pressed to find too many things around this building that have my name on it or the staff people's names. You're not going to see it on the sign. I'm not going to put Pastor Josh Bevan on the side of the building. You're not going to come in and see my face on a bunch of stuff. And uh, we finally this year said, you know, now that the church, you know, it's gotten bigger and there's, you know, 700 people or something, a lot of large group of people coming, you know, it may not be a bad idea to put you and your wife on the bulletin. So I'm like, ah, yeah, that's probably not a bad idea. So, uh, so like, you know, so now, like, like this is about as far as I'm going to go, okay? So, <laughs> but... You know, you have guys today that name their ministries after themselves. You know, and, and, and some of those guys can be honest guys. I just, some of that you have to be careful with. Time and truth hold hands. If you ever move from Xenian, and that should be the only way you leave Lighthouse, um, you need to move far away if that happens. And don't move <laughs> unless I've given you the okay to move. And, uh, but if you ever go to a place and, 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 and you see a guy jumping from place to place to place, just that should be a little bit of a red flag. It's like, why did he leave the previous place? What, you know, what, what, what caused that? I've seen guys do that through the years. Should be, a, be at least like a caution. A second thing is, what is the fruit of their teaching? What is the fruit of their teaching? Um, false preachers always change the gospel. They, they always mix it up. That's why verse 3 and 4, he says, in, in 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, he says, I fear lest by any means the serpent beguiled Eve to subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And they'll come and preach another Jesus whom we've not, you've not received, and, and another spirit, and another gospel. They just mix it all up. Do they preach repentance, humility, brokenness over sin? Do they elevate the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they focus the glory on the Lord? Uh, do they preach and teach the Word of God? Do they preach the full counsel? One, one thing a false preacher will do is give people very little truth from God's Word. They deprive the people of the Word. Jeremiah 23, 30 says, Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. They, 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 they rob people of the word of God. False prophets of God will make the gospel complex. They will, they will mix things into it. The simplicity of Christ is taken away. They add works. They add things. Some of you have been in churches in the past, like I have growing up, where you could go to church for years, and if somebody said, how do you get to heaven? You're like, you know, that's a good question. I'm not quite sure. Um... You would never give a biblical answer because you never got a biblical answer. False prophets will change the gospel. They, they, they twist it around. False prophets will have a message the world likes. They'll, they'll say things that, that makes them acceptable. They will modify what's said in the pulpit because they know the world won't accept it if they don't. They speak the world's language. 1 John 4, 5, and 6 says they are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world hears them. It says in verse 6, we are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us, he that is not of God heareth not us, hereby know we the spirit of the truth, spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I mean, John 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. There are two types of people that will come to Lighthouse, people that the Holy Spirit awakens and those that are not awakened. There will be some who hear the shepherd's voice, I'm talking about Jesus the shepherd, through the local pastor proclaiming and elevating the word of God, the Holy Spirit turns the light on and draws them. They're drawn. There's something that wakes up inside of you. It's like I, I'm, I'm drawn to that, like I need that, I, I want that, it arouses me on my soul, I, I, I desire that truth. Is, is, is that man's message scripture light or story heavy? Do they seem to fear the world more than God? Do they seem to seek to be accepted by the world more than Christ? You know, I think churches should have a very good testimony in the community. I think they should be loving and gracious and kind. But, but we need to remember the, the message of Christ is, is offensive. It is offensive. Is their message man-centered or Christ-centered? Is their message more focused on you than God? 
you know, churches today have a, and, 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 and it's so hard to see this. I've, I've been around ministries for preaching for 20 years and, and church planting and things. And I've just seen this happen over and over and over. And we have people who come here uh, over the years. Um, sometimes they'll hear us on the radio. Sometimes they'll, <laughs> just a friend will tell them. They'll listen online. Uh, some of you have been in these situations where you were in a church that once preached the Word of God, they, that, that once stood on the Word of God. But something happened. They, they just began to modify the message. You never heard the word like sin a lot, repentance. They may... Referred, they, would, they would refer to, you know, we all make mistakes. We all, we all mess up in life. Uh, they, they, they kind of turn what's black into gray. They muddle the statements up. Um, they don't talk about hell. That's, a, that's offensive. There are some pastors that would never speak on hell. They don't talk about the holiness of God. Not going to go there. Uh, they're going to they're going to deal with like you know you're, you're dealing with anxiety. Let's talk about anxiety. You know here's some ways you can get over that, and and they'll begin to lift you up. They'll really promote self-esteem, really wanting to make you feel good about yourself, getting your best life now, and talk about prosperity over purity. They'll talk about happiness over holiness. They'll talk about acceptance over repentance. And what it ultimately becomes is a very man-centered theology versus a Christ-centered theology. You leave more thinking about your life enhancement plan than the exaltation of Jesus Christ. I don't need... The problem with many of us in our world when we get so downtrodden is we're so consumed with us. Let me expose that thought for a moment. Can I? Who are the most miserable people on the planet right now? Yeah, uh, You want me to tell you? We can walk down this hall, turn right, go back down that hall, and there's a room of about 60 to 70 of them. You know why a lot of times teens get miserable? You know why they're so miserable? And they feel like everybody's against them? Because they're so focused on themselves. They live in a self-focused world with their selfies, and they have selfie contests, and they have to send a selfie every 30 minutes to somebody else with a selfie. They're videoing themselves and they're making their photos fake as can be and they're selfieing, <laughs> suffocating in themselves. What, what is interesting, and, and, and I know we have some doctors in here that could come up and talk about this at length, but I remember hearing stories back in the days of World War I and II where there was mental hospitals that were flooded. Once the war started, those mental hospitals were, many of them eradicated. Also during the Great Depression this happened during the Great Depression. And one of the reasons is because when things go really well, really well, people begin to like take for granted all the blessings they have, and they begin to focus on silly things, self-focused things. But when those other things, when it's like, hey, I need to get food, uh, there's gas rationing and milk rationing, and like, you, it emptied a lot of the mental hospitals. And, and, and what's interesting is when people start focusing on themselves and they start thinking, if, if, if a teenager were like, you know what, I want to make sure my, my mom's taking care of my dad's sake. I'm, I'm going to do the dishes today. I'm going to go see if the neighbor needs anything. You know, I saw that elderly person across the street. Maybe I could help clean their yard up, mow the yawn, pull some weeds, shovel it when it's snowing. If they got outside of themselves and began to... I know for myself, the most miserable time in my life in existence was when I was a teen. It was filled up with sin and filled up with myself. I was so miserable. I've seen a lot of kids who want, don't want to live anymore because they get to that point of misery. They're, and it's a self-focused life. And then you, have, you go to some psychologist and they're like, you just need to love yourself. <laughs> now the problem is they love themselves so much. And, 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 and it's not self-love they need, it's Christ's love they need and loving others as themselves. Show me the person that's so consumed with their own problems they can't get outside of themselves. Go serve someone. Go to the nursing home or go to the VA and sit down with some of those folks and listen to their stories and write a report on the story of the man that you sat down who doesn't have an arm and a leg and he's mentally struggling to even communicate. Talk to that man and what happened to his family and all the trials that some of these folks go through and then go home and tell me how hard you got it. My grandfather died in the VA up in Chillicothe, and I remember going up there and sitting down and talking to these people that 
just so sad, had really been left by society, if I could be frank. Stick them in a hospital, may I? Stick them in a hospital, medicate them, and then just let them be. That's what happens. I know it. And it's a, it's a tragic thing to see. I can tell you, friends, uh, you, you want to begin to love other people, and I don't know how I got down this rabbit trail so far, but, but it is a man-centered, miserable place. When you get so focused on Christ, your joy will come. You live for the audience of Him. Do they preach God will bless you in spite of your sin? Jeremiah 23, 17, is that their message? It says, they say still unto them that despise me, the Lord hath said, you shall have peace. And they say, everyone walketh after his imagination, his own heart. No evil shall come upon you. I mean, is that the message? They despise God and, and the prophets were saying, you're going to be blessed by God. They declare the message of peace when God declaring judgment. They say, peace, peace, Jeremiah 6, 14, but there will be no peace. Ezekiel 13, 10 repeats that. Micah 3, 11. Shallow teaching will set people up for false teaching as well. Do they speak with an air of pride in bold, daring ways? And, and this is, we've seen an escalation of this. I want you to hear what I'm going to talk about here for a couple minutes. Do they speak with an extreme air of pride and boldness, daring toward the spiritual realm? extremely prevalent today among charismatic groups. There's movies that have come out about this. 2 Peter 2, verse 10. Turn with me over to 2 Peter, because I, I want to show you a couple of these passages. 2 Peter. Turn right in your Bible. You land in Revelation, hit reverse. <laughs> go back. You hit 1 Peter, go forward. 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse number 10 through 12. Anybody see those 50s and upper 50s coming next week? I mean, is that why you're turning? I'm giving you some time because I know some of you are struggling. But isn't that nice to see? Like 59 I saw. It may eclipse 60. Hold the snow off, Ben. It's great. Second Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 10. So Peter says, Chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise governments. He's talking about false teachers the entire chapter. He says, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not to afraid to speak evil of dignities, of, of the spiritual realm is what he's talking about. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Angels don't rail on demons. Verse 12, but these, these false teachers, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. So let me break that verse down a little bit. He says they are presumptuous. They are daring and reckless. They are recklessly bold. They, they, they are, there is a daring that is heroic and then there's a daring that is satanic. Many false teachers will say such arrogant, bold statements. They boldly declare that things that are not in Scripture, uh, they, they don't have any fear of consequence in what they're saying. They're self-willed, it says. Self-willed. Uh, these false teachers live to please themselves. It's off hades. It's from a root that, of hedonism, their sensual pleasure. They're presumptuous, they're, they're daring, they're self-willed, they're there to please themselves. They are not afraid, it says, to speak evil of dignity. Speak evil is blasphemeo, is where we get the blasphemy from. It means to revile, slander, speak lightly of. Blasphemy means to speak lightly of something. Dignities is doxa glories. Here it refers to fallen angels or demons. Uh, you know, it's important to know that demons, though fallen, are still a higher and more transcendent being than humans are. Speaking of man and prophecy of Christ, Psalms 8 verse 5 says, Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Uh, even in their fallen state, demons retain a divine imprint of God's glory reflected in the magnificence of the creatures that they are. Just as fallen man retains the dignity even in their fallen state, fallen angels also retain a level of dignity even though they're fallen. Though they are all under the judgment of God, they still retain greater power than man in this world. Jesus called Satan the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world. 
Paul speaks of the hierarchy of Satan as the principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places in Ephesians 6. In Daniel 10, you see the angel Gabriel was hindered for 21 days from fulfilling God's work until Michael the archangel came to help him in Daniel chapter 10, 13. But Peter declares how these false teachers speak with great arrogance and fearless pride against these demonic agents. In verse 11, it says, Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. So if angels, which are greater than man, do not bring railing accusation against them, how much less should we? Inside the charismatic realm, you have people binding Satan. You ever heard that term? You ever found that verse in the Bible? They speak directly against Satan. Even in the movie, The War Room, which is... In total, I think a good movie, which has some encouragement about the importance of prayer, it crosses the line when the lead female actor starts speaking to Satan directly to get out of her house. We do not speak to Satan. We speak to God, and the Bible tells us that we are what we are to do in response to Satan. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. You don't speak against him. You don't talk to him like you have that power to do that. You resist him and he'll flee. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. What do we do? Verse 9, whom resists steadfast in the faith. You resist him. That's why Ephesians 6 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand, therefore, it's histomai in the Greek. It's hold your position. You're facing all this, and you stand there on the Word of God. That's why in life you feel it, don't you? You ever feel like, like you're just getting bombarded? You're like, did anything change? Did my diet change? My sleeping habit, sleeping habit change? No, Satan, there's spiritual assault that comes against you, and you must learn to identify that. You feel oppressed, you feel weighed down, you feel these things, and, and, and it doesn't always last like that, but you may go through a day, a few hours, you may go through a week, you may go through a season in your life where there's just enemy assault. Jude parallels Peter in this chapter and warning of false teachers very close. Listen to what Jude verse 8 and 9 says. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. And then he says this, yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not to bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael would not even speak against Satan. They're disputing over where the body of Moses was buried. Isn't that interesting? Is that kind of odd? Why were they doing that? Because Moses dies and very likely Michael must have buried him. But nobody knew where he was buried, and why did God do that? If I could read between the lines, this is not in the Bible, but it could be that we don't want them to worship Moses' body. So God had an angel bury him, or how else would Satan say, Michael, you know where it's at, where's his body at? So he's contending with him. I'm sure Satan would love to find Moses' body because he would have turned it into a worship center. Isn't that what the certain groups have done? Any holy site, they put a church on top of and they worship the area in some sense. And so Michael does not bring railing accusation against Satan, but he says, the Lord rebuke you. Um, it seems that um, in this illustration by Jude, we see that Michael didn't personally bring a railing accusation and this is the way Christians are to confront evil spirits. We don't personally come against them. We seek the Lord to intervene. Jude goes on to say of false teachers, he says in Jude verse 10, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beast and those things they corrupt themselves. False teachers speak against demons, against Satan with a bold arrogance and imagined power and they have no idea what they're doing. I bind you, and they begin to do this kind of thing. Oh, really? The Bible has something to say to you. Your bold arrogance is like a brute beast, like a foolish beast that doesn't understand what it's doing. Are you greater than Michael the archangel? Are you greater? Do you have more supremacy? 
Second Peter 2.12, but these as natural beasts be made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. You know, what's interesting here is he compares them to natural brute beasts. You know, animals are creatures of instinct. They do not reason. They do not think, you know, what am I going to do today? You know, I'm not sure. I, you know, they, they don't do that. They, um, they respond. And, and aren't you thankful for the wonderful animal kingdom God's given us? But Peter says they're made to be taken and destroyed. I don't, I don't want to offend any vegetarians here, but um, one of the primary reasons for animal life is to provide food and nourishment. And we are a meat-eating church. Peter is saying that animals then often provide a greater purpose when they die by sustaining food for the animal kingdom, uh, from the animal kingdom to man. They, they, they can provide a more beneficial work when they die. I appreciate the big cow that I have inside of my freezer right now. Y'all with me? Yes, I buy that quarter cow and I am as happy as a boy I'm happy. Kids are like, can I have that porterhouse? No, you cannot. <laughs> but there's some ground beef over there in that package. Amen? Yes, sir. And one of these days, you're going to learn why you're so content with that. You know, it's teaching you these things. Peter is saying these false teachers are like foolish animals, which have no understanding. And just like animals are made to be taken and killed, and the benefit is through their death. So these false teachers will benefit us more, he's saying, when they die as they utterly perish in their own corruption. Very strong language. And so do their teachings seek to deify man? This is another false teaching inside the charismatic realm. Uh, one of the chief lies of Satan in the garden was promising Eve to be like God. Genesis 3, 5, uh, For God doth know that in a day that ye either of your eyes shall be opened, and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. It's an interesting study as I've dealt with this through the years, but uh, the word of faith movement. And again, I grew up in all of this positive confession, and you've seen this more and more, that if you, if you say it, it will come to pass. That the power is in the word, and if you say it, it will come to pass. Do you know that, that that was started with a man named E.W. Kenyon? You can look this up yourself. E.W.K.E.N.Y.O.N who studied metaphysical new thought teaching from a man named Phineas Quimby, who lived back in the early 19th century. Quimby lived in that early time in the 19th century, and he held that all illness is basically a matter of the mind and is, is a result from the patient's mistaken belief. Hence, the cure lies in discovering the truth. Although not religious in, his, in the orthodox sense, he believed he had rediscovered the healing methods of Jesus. It was a mind science. You name it and you claim it was his teaching. And now that's come into Pentecostalism and charismatic churches. Kenneth Hagin turned uh, E.W. Kenyon's teaching and made that explode. He really plagiarized a lot of it. They teach there is a force of faith in which words can be used to manipulate that faith, for, uh, faith force and actually create what they believe Scripture promises, health and wealth. They believe this works independently of God's sovereignty, that God is subject to that, that God must do it, that God must do what you claim now because you're taking him and he must carry that out. They also claim that we are little gods. They teach that before the fall, humans had the potential to call things into existence by this faith force. After Adam sinned, humans took on Satan's nature and lost the ability to call things into existence. And so in order to correct, correct this situation, they say that Jesus Christ actually gave up his divinity, became a man, died spiritually, took upon him Satan's nature, actually went and suffered in hell, was born again, rose from the dead, and has now taken on God's nature. Now Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to bring salvation to people who will become little gods as God had originally intended. Kenneth Copeland, one of the big names there, declared this heresy in a prophetic utterance, he is in what I'm about to read, he's speaking for Jesus. Here he says this, Copeland speaking for Jesus says, don't be disturbed as though Jesus is talking to Kenneth Copeland. Don't be disturbed, Kenneth, when people accuse you of thinking you are God. They crucified me for claiming I was God, but I, ne I never claimed that I was God. I just claimed I walked with him and that he was in me. Hallelujah, that's what you're doing. So according to Copeland, Jesus is saying Jesus never claimed to be God. I mean, that's satanic, isn't it? Again, 
quoting Copeland, and I say this with all respect so that you don't get upset with me, but I say it anyways, when I read the Bible where he, God says, I am, I just smile and say, yes, I am too. And there's people that keep TBN on and watch that? These are, these are messengers of Satan. That is satanic. No, you are not I am. You are dust. And Jesus said, before Abraham was I am. Jesus said, honor me as you honor the Father. They fell down and worshipped him. And he said, blessed are you, Simon Bar, Blessed are you, and uh, Thomas, because uh, you recognize that I am Lord and I am God. He claimed to be God all through his life. I and my Father are one, he re- repeated over and over. Uh, these kind of things go on and on. Kenneth Hagin wrote that God made us in the same class of being as himself and that the believer is, quote, called Christ because that's who we are. We are Christ. We are as much, he says, an incarnation as Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, this is blasphemy, isn't it? So just, you, you look at the fruit of their, their life. I mean, and all these guys are multimillionaires, aren't they? You look at the fruit of their lips, and then let's look at the fruit of their ministry, and I'm going to wrap this up in just a couple quick minutes. Maybe three. Do the people who sit under them understand the gospel? If you sit under a false teacher, you're going to get confused about the gospel. That's why people who sit in churches like some churches, and they could be here in Xenia and all over the country, you could sit in those churches all your life and never know how to be saved. There's a problem. There's a problem. Does the fruit of their ministry produce people who love the Lord and love one another? Does the fruit of their ministry produce humble spirits broken over their sin, willing to forgive? And, or do they produce prideful people who are self-righteous and unforgiving? Does their ministry produce a church that looks like Christ or does it look like the world? Do they produce people who love Jesus and the love of that flows in outward obedience? And the on and on it could go. Keys to avoiding deception, examine their fruit. See the personal life they're teaching, their ministry. Build your life on the Word of God. Acts 20, Paul says, I commend you to the Word of His grace. Friends, if there's ever been a day you need to know the truth, it's now. You need to be in the Word of God. You need to be able to identify error. Have godly examples and mentors in your life. Have people, if you come across something you're not sure of, you need to have godly mentors in the church. You say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? I have people do that to me almost on a, really multiple times through the week. What do you think about this? Do, do those things. Find godly saints in the church that you could say, hey, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm not getting led astray here. False teachers will be known by these things as I close. They'll preach a man-centered message instead of a Christ-centered message. Now, you, you would leave the service many times knowing more about them than you do the Lord. They will make light of sin. They will make light of God's holiness. Beware when you hear a preacher speak light about sinful things who use vulgar language, vulgar statements, and openly talk about sexual matters in a, in a disturbing way. Beware when you hear a preacher boast of material possessions who speak of their financial prosperity at the hand of God who entice people to follow them as they get wealthy and blessed. Beware when a preacher elevates himself as being some great unique messenger that they're a kind of a Gnostic idea that they, you have to just come to them who acts as though they have insights into God's truth that no one else has. New revelation, a new word from the Lord. Beware when a preacher never preaches on sin, repentance, and never mentions hell. Be cautious when the preacher has the appearance of materialism. They're surrounded by it. Beware of the minister who's too friendly with ladies, who is too touchy-feely with them, who counsels attractive women in private. Beware of that. Beware when the preacher focuses his message on you more than on Christ, who speaks of himself more than he does the scripture. And beware of the minister who has fallen into grave sin because although God can forgive them, if they've fallen once, they can fall again. So these are some things to be aware of. And when you go through the scriptures, you'll see that what we see in the scriptures that they struggled with is so prevalent, but just on a larger scale in the world we live. And the Bible says deception will be so heavy in the end times that if it were possible, that even the very elect would be deceived. And so let us stand on the word of God. Amen. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to come tonight. Trust in him. Put your faith in the Lord. And maybe you're going through some trials right now. Listen, just know this too. Satan will deceive you in your own heart. He will cause you to want to turn from the truth and to turn into error. 
He'll want to get you offended against a true preaching church. He'll want to get you to turn against that teacher, that preacher, that whatever. Just be careful and know that. Just like he did at the church at Corinth, Satan was bombarding that church, and they were turning against Paul. And if he could do that to them to turn against Paul, how much easier it would be to turn against somebody like me. I have a lot more reasons that you could turn against me. So just beware of that. And just always ask the statement, is this what God would want from me? Or is this what Satan would want from me? Is the fruit of my feelings and my response causing me to be more like Christ? Or is it pulling me away from the things of God? You'll know it by its fruit. Amen. Mm -hmm.